Hi, I'm Julie Mackin and this is the 5-Minute Advocate. Two events that happened over the last couple of weeks have got me thinking about the atomization of political messaging and what, if any, impact this splintering of target audiences may be having on national politics. As you do. <laughs> the first was the launch of Brooke Turner's fabulous new book called Independence Day. It's a really terrific read, and if political moments kept a diary, really this is how to read. At the book launch, there are a few questions about why the Teal independence was so successful. And of course, there are a million different reasons for that outcome. But Brooke nominated two in particular. The first, he said, was that the Teal independents were able to mobilise thousands of local community to volunteer for their campaigns. So these were campaigns driven by the local community, decided upon by the local community, at a time when the major parties are still struggling to build their membership. In fact, let's be honest, the major parties are trying to stop the collapse, the ongoing collapse of their membership. So the idea of having a few thousand people volunteer in each electorate is really a new political phenomenon. So th that was kind of extraordinary. The second source of success was the capacity of the independence to micro-message. And this was uh, also something suggested by George Megalogenis from The Age in relation to the Victorian election. Speaking on Radio National um, about that election before it was run, he made the point that both the leaders of the major parties had avoided the big set pieces of national debates on national TV and, in fact, avoided broadcasting a big-picture message altogether. This micromanaging is now possible because the analytics of social media, sorry, just to finish that thought about why would they avoid the big picture pieces um, and why would they avoid debates? Because this micromessaging is really about talking just to a particular cohort and avoiding the, the real complexity of the situation, which is what you get in a, in a debate or an interview and when you go blah, 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 and someone goes, yeah, okay, well, you, you think blah, 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 well, how are you going to do it? And it's like they don't want to have that conversation. And the micro-messaging is now possible because the analytics of social media mean that you can segregate entire communities into what that community is concerned about, what matters to them, and then you can pretty well conduct a monologue with them. It's not a dialogue, it's a monologue, telling them all the things they want to hear, which can be like, who do, you, who, do, who do you think they should love? Who do you think they should fear? Certainly, who do you think they should blame? And it's very sophisticated. So these conversations, um, although that's a very kind thing to call them, are conducted just with that group of people. And that's why having a big national, even state-based debate is too risky for political leadership. So this might be really smart politics, and it's clearly a successful strategy for winning power. But what does it do when we need politicians to start using the power we've given them to fix things or even, dare I say it, lead the way? Although I think we've all gotten over that fantasy by now. Uh, because, it, well, it's very clear we have some very big ticket items that need fixing and people are looking to politicians to do the fixing, which kind of brings me to the second event I wanted to talk about. A couple of days ago, the results from a really unique ongoing study known as the Climate Compass was published. That interviewed 3,636 people after the election to gauge attitudes on climate change. As it turns out, concern about the climate crisis was the number one issue that prompted Australians to switch their vote to an independent candidate at this year's federal election. And it was the number two issue that led to people to swing to Labor, behind concern about the cost of living. So the electorate wants real action to prevent the worst of this climate crisis. That's the message. But 
um, the solutions will mean burning very real political capital to achieve them. It'll be more than just a one-way chat with a captive audience. Greg Mullins, a former Commissioner of Fire and Rescue in New South Wales and a climate councillor, has a very simple solution about uh, a place to start the recovery from. He wrote recently, through our taxes, we subsidise the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $11.6 billion each year. How they must laugh at us as they rake in billions in super profits while paying little to no income tax. He goes on to say, it's time to say that we've had a gutful. It's time to end fossil fuel subsidies, repurpose that money to build our emergency and disaster recovery services and support communities to become more resilient and disaster ready. If any money is left over, it should be used to help us drive down and eliminate emissions that threaten our very existence. To do that, we will need to see real political leadership. We will need, this is not Greg, this is Julie Macken, we will need to see the independents step up, burn political capital and demand the subsidies end. Labor will also need to commit to this. So can you see the problem with all that micro-messaging? When it comes to a national crisis, these conversations cannot be had behind closed doors. These solutions need a full-throated national debate about where our dollars are going and, frankly, what we're willing to cop. Micro-messaging might get you into power, but it is no substitute for leadership or the need for a good old-fashioned fight for ideas.